0: How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan with The Scale Up Show. I got Matt Young, the CEO of User Voice Today. Really cool story about how he got moved from head of product to CEO in a really unique circumstance and actually helps companies answer the all-challenging all, all challenging problem of product market fit and has seen what the best product organizations have done at around 7 to 10 million in the ARR range. Some really cool things that Matt talks about that no one else has ever discussed on the show. Can't wait for you to check it out. Listen in. Welcome everybody to the scale up show. This is your host Ryan Staley and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Matt young. Matt is the CEO of user voice. He was born an engineer and now he's running a product feedback management software that enables businesses to make data driven decisions and prioritize future requests to grow their company. What's up, Matt? How you doing, man? Happy to have you on the show.
1: Hey, nice, nice to be here. Fun to hang out with you today
0: yeah it was fun we were we were catching up in the pre-show and found out that we literally lived about 30 feet from each other in an earlier point in life even though he's on the opposite side of the country or across the country from me right now so uh it just shows how weird things are and how close you are to people when you're far away, even sometimes. So very high likelihood that I've seen you in person before. (laughs) I know that's the weird (laughs) thing about it, right? So random. Um, okay. So let's, let's get cooking. Let's do a revenue rundown. So everybody has an understanding of kind of where you're at in your stage of the journey.
1: So where are you at in terms of your revenue range? Yeah, we're, we're between seven and 10 million, uh, in revenue per year, all recurring. Okay, perfect. And then what's your, your
0: go to market, your primary go to market? Strategy or or revenue creation, I should say.
1: Yeah, um, most of our business is driven through inbound. User Voice is one of the original products for for feedback. So when people are looking for us, they usually come find us. It's a you know a a product that people look for when they're recognizing a problem and realize that they need to come our way. Um, so we get a lot through inbound uh, referrals. Do quite a lot of work too. Once we get into a company, we tend to expand there as well. So those are our two primary models. That's awesome. And when you say inbound, is it are, do you have like
0: a, a like an SEO strategy? Do you have paid ads? Do you
1: or how is it Google? How, what's the primary? Yeah, uh, mostly through content marketing. Actually, we do oh, okay. we do very little ad spend. Um, we try to produce content that is really um, the, the subject of what we study uh, and what we need to study to do our jobs well. And we try to share that as much as possible to become uh, thought leaders and industry experts and all that stuff. So uh, if you look at our blog content, uh, our marketing team will always tell me that I need to add a little, little bit more. Hey, you could you could plug the company a little bit more in here type stuff, <laughs> but I'm just the facts kind of guy. And, and usually just try to produce a piece of content that'll have value. And, and hopefully you guys recognize we know what we're talking about and uh, we'll be interested in, in, in that. You know, it's funny, man, that that was one of the things that I used to have a hard time with is like
0: promoting myself or promoting yeah. the company. And then I read a book and I'm looking at my shelf right now because I don't want to mess it up. It's like, oh, there's a customer born every minute. And it's a book about P.T. Barnum. And it mm-hmm. talks about like how all the wild things he did to promote, promote and the, the 10 like rings of fire that... Wrote him the success. But the funny thing here is here's a really cool thing. And I'm gonna botch the numbers probably a little bit. But he literally sold, I think it was 38 million tickets to his circus, which he didn't start till he was 60, which is crazy back then. That right? is crazy. Yeah. Like 37, 38 million tickets. And in the US at the time, there was only 35 million people.
1: That's incredible. That's that's and, like mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, dude. And, and it wasn't like you could just hop on a plane and go somewhere. I mean, this was back in the days where it was hard to get around. So and a big byproduct of that was him promoting things. So anyways, just a little nugget
1: was interesting. And it's great to know it's it's like a delicate question. We're we're all consumers in the same way that we operate businesses and all that. And how many times do you get bombarded daily with like just nonsense? You don't want to hear the number of emails that you get that are just not helpful or anything like that. So I never want to be that guy, but I firmly believe we have a lot of value to offer for people. So I think we, we try to ride that line of just being as earnest as possible, but we could stand to be a little bit more in, in your face, I think.
0: Well, that, that's good that you're, you're sensitive to that. So let's say, wait, then talk about your solution a little bit. What exactly does it do
1: and who does it serve? Yeah. So uh, generally speaking, um, we take the philosophy that, that you really need to be talking to your customers all the time, especially if you're selling software and especially if you're selling software on a subscription. So our market is generally product teams, um, especially for people who have software based products. Uh, with recurring revenue around it. So if you want to keep that revenue and you want to keep that revenue growing, it really behooves you to listen well to what your customers are struggling with. Um, And notice I didn't say what your customers are asking for. Uh, A lot of customers will say, hey, do this, do that, add this button, change this thing, make this report. But if you don't take the time to dig in and understand um, why they're asking for that, what's the problem they're going to solve and what's the business outcome of that solution gonna be, then it's really hard for you as a company to ascribe value to doing that work. So uh, I started with the outcome, but the way our product works is just creates a way to, to capture all the product feedback that you get. You're getting it whether you know it or not, uh, either directly from customers in emails, through sales demos, through support tickets, conversations. We wanna make sure that that becomes a mindable resource for everyone. We associate all the feedback that we get with the people, who provided it, uh, therefore the accounts they belong to, how much they're worth, what plan they're on, etc. All this stuff that you want to put context around the feedback that you're getting. And that gives you a really good starting point to make sure that you're not wasting your time barking up a bunch of trees that aren't going to deliver any value uh, in your solutions or products. That's awesome.
0: I can see a big need for that. uh, As we kind of talked about on the pre-show, just about how companies miss the mark when it comes to product market fit and how much that could devastate their revenue their customer experience so love that you're doing that how big is your team right now uh 35 people we do quite a lot with quite a small team yeah it sounds like it that's a really i would say capital efficient structure that you have set up what's um
1: are you bootstrapped are you funded right now
0: what's what's kind of your your
1: foundation Uh, our our funding is is quite light uh given where we are uh it was all through friends and family rounds uh in the early days of the company so we've only done two raises and i think the total investment in the company is still under 10 million dollars i think hovering right around 8 million um we're profitable so fortunately that gives us a nice long runway to keep doing what we do and and uh, since I'm not a founder of the company, I'm pretty interested in not diluting it <laughs> very much. Um, so we, we continue to be able to do good stuff uh, without further funding. Um, but never say never. Uh, that may be something we do in the future.
0: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense, man. It's it's good that you're profitable and you're you're heading down the right track with that. So walk us through that. Like I know you have an engineering background, right? With with software and other areas. And so kind of how did you get to this point where you're the CEO of you know, a product roadmap company um, or that would drive product roadmap? Like, how does that happen? You know, what did you do to get here? And
1: could you just walk us through that real quick? Yeah, I ask myself, how does that happen every now and then when, when problems show up that you're not super eager to solve? Um, yeah, It's really interesting because if you, as a consumer, look at the the software products that you use and, and with some products you're really satisfied and with other products you're kind of banging your head against the wall and you're, you're like what are the people who are making this thinking this is just not what i want to be another um group of people that suffers from poor decision making and product management are the engineers who go build and support the software so having been on the side of, of building complex software systems over a long period of time When you get that, you know, that look a dog gives you when they hear a a high-pitched note, like, you want us to do what? (laughs) Um, I really wanted more data and more information, and I wanted to believe that the research had been done, the people that did this. So I was really attracted to user voice. When when the time came for me to change jobs and I was looking out around the market, um, I I hadn't heard of user voice. I'm like, great, this is a a way to actually put quantitative and and qualitative data behind what an engineering team is asked to build, that was really attractive to me. It's something that I I felt like all companies should be doing, and I still believe that all companies should be doing. So I joined the company as the VP of engineering. we were growing as an engineering team. We needed to get to a place where we could sell to enterprise and get all the security discipline and all the software development lifecycle discipline in place. That was something I'd been doing for years and years and could do in my sleep. And after about three years, I was done with that. And I talked to the founder of the company and said, "Um, my work here is done. Uh, And we had a really nice transparent. We still do a very, very transparent relationship. I was like, in order to grow my career, unless we're going to grow to another order of magnitude, I may need to hand this off to someone else, which I thought is a good opportunity for someone on the engineering team. They can take over something that's already well set to go. He's like, well, hang on a minute. Um, I've been thinking the same thing. We need to figure out what our next play will be in order to grow the company larger. And, and for us, that play was becoming a multi-product company. So he, he did an interesting thing. He said, he, he had the wherewithal to say, I've been working on this thing. It's been my baby for a decade. I've got a tight grip on it you've got some fresh eyes on the problem and you also have an interesting perspective on the ramifications of not solving the problem. So I want you to keep running with the original product. I'm gonna take a small part of our team and go operate like we're a different company, still in the same building, just on a different floor, but they stopped like they stopped coming to our all hands meetings. It was, it was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, long story, medium short, uh, he iterated a couple versions of a product, ended up landing on something that's great, spun it off, it's called Fathom.video. It's a note-taking app for Zoom. That's um, free, you should go try it. But uh, it was originally something that we were gonna to use to conduct product management interviews. And turns out that the same solution sells a whole lot better when you're doing it with people who are on the phone all day long rather than just a few times a week or something like that. So um, knowing that, that our cap table is built to people who are interested in the product management space, we didn't wanna dilute that. He spun it off into a different company And now I run user voice and all of its products and services. Wow. Okay. And so how, how, um, for fathom
0: video, which is subtle plug for the original company, how how big are they
1: right now? Like in, in uh, I think 15 or so people are working over there. Um, and they're, they're in that place. They're, they're taking the approach of offering a a free product and it will eventually grow that into a paid version as they land into. Organizations, so they're um, they're funded through a couple of early seed rounds, and taking a, a product-led growth play uh, in order to make that a viable company. Oh, cool! We might have yeah. to have him on the show as well. Oh, yeah, Rich is great. Uh, he's he's a lot of fun to talk to too. Front front of the pot. So, does did he have um, a product or engineering background, or what was his background then? Yeah, yeah. He, he ended up building user voice himself. And the reason that it came about was that he was building a calendaring program. This was in 2008, before it was kind of a given that you were going to use Google Calendar or Outlook or something like that. And he was having a whole lot of trouble getting answers from users about what was working, what, was, what could stand to be improved, like what were the real problems? What were the real valuable problems to solve? So I think there, there has to be a thing for this. So he ended up actually building this really small version of user voice. It was one of, and you know, you may hate him for this, but it was one of the first in-app little like pop-up, um, it, it never popped up automatically, but just sitting over in the corner, like, Hey, do you have any feedback for us? Go do it. You could just click it and say, Hey, you know, I, I wish I could change time zones over here or whatever it might be. Uh, and it would send that straight over and you could actually go do something about it, which was really, really nice. So he, uh, you know, like most great products. Necessity was the mother of invention. He built the thing himself. I think he went to school for engineering, but I think everyone would tell you that his code was not go good. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Like most founders, you know, quick and quick and dirty was the goal, not uh, rich and robust. There you go. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, well,
0: walk us through then. Like, how are you growing the company right now? You, I, I think what you took over in 2020, you said in the pandemic is when you took this rollover as a CEO.
1: Yeah, I, I became the CEO in 2020 and was, the, was running the company in 2019, we're running the product in 2019 completely. So it's been a few years. Um, I, I just mentioned that that pop-up box asking for feedback is annoying. And that's that's one of the big things that you have to work on, right? the The way people want to talk to the companies that provide their software and services, today in 2022 is really, really different from how it was in 2008, even two years ago. I mean, now we're working from home a lot of the time, et cetera. Um, People's attitudes about taking surveys about, you know, how blunt are they going to be? How, what can you learn from the metadata around the feedback? If you asked and they didn't respond, does that tell you something about their likelihood to renew, et cetera? There's a whole lot more information that you have to be kind of clever about learning without just the direct this is what they said type stuff. So we're both working on ways to keep people who use software products engaged. Uh, We're learning about what we can uh, glean. Our artificial intelligence has now become a practical reality to use. So we can take things like deduplication of similar thoughts and ideas and automate that for people. So, you know, it just means that you've got a computer doing what it should do for you, which is to do the busy work and let you think about innovation and creativity and how to solve problems. So we're trying to take um, what is an ongoing problem. It's still the very same problem that we were set out to solve in 2008. What are the valuable problems to solve and make sure that we can do that in ever more impactful ways?
0: Hmm. Okay. So are you like, what are you doing to add more customers though for like new logo or expansion? is there anything that you've seen work really well besides the product side over the last couple of years that has led to your growth
1: yeah and one of, the, one of the really interesting plays and this is this is something that i hope to see happen more in the software industry is that um product teams are coming down from their ivory tower and sales teams and customer success teams and support teams are putting down their torches and pitchforks at the bottom um it's very common in a, in a product company that people aren't on the product team are wondering what is it that these product teams are doing and that product teams are looking down on salespeople and things like that saying yeah, they don't know what they're asking for, they're just trying to close the deal that they're working on or something like that. I think everyone has recognized the fact that if they work together, if people share information, if, um, if they come together as uh you know a united team under under whatever the goals of the company are and work towards that together they're going to have better outcomes so what we're seeing is that we're often getting asked to get introduced to a company by customer success or support or someone who feels like the product team isn't necessarily listening to or, or hearing the same message that they're hearing day in and day out from the customers that they speak with so there are these interesting avenues of of Getting introduced to a company not by our primary user or anyone who, really, be you know, not the buyer, not the administrator, none of those people, just people who see us and say, "I really wish our company had that." Hmm. Okay. So how does
0: that work? Like, give me a little more detail on that because that's that's really interesting in terms of a growth strategy. So you're, yeah, you're seeing not the buyer, but you're seeing the like the end user.
1: Is that what you're saying? Like. Uh, no, not even the end user. That that did used to happen, by the way. Um, user voice used to provide all the feedback services to Microsoft, and um, we, we had a lot of visibility because of that. So there would be you know, a customer of a company saying, hey, company, Microsoft uses user voice. Why don't you use user voice? You should have it too. Um, that doesn't happen as much these days, just because I think that most users of software are not willing to go out of their way to do that kind of thing. But... Um, We get people like signing up, talk, signing up on our website to get a demo or talk to sales or do a trial Mm -hmm. and their title isn't something like product manager or anything like that. And for us, what what that means is that we will put them into a different nurture campaign. And the step for us is not then like, hey, let's give you a demo and sell you on the product because you're not the one who's going to buy it. But we want to try to get that person and who the potential buyer would be on the same call, because that way the buyer sees the pain coming straight from their coworker. It's, it's not us that has to tell you like why you're not doing your job as well as you could. That's never a fun message to try to sell uh, in sales. But if they're hearing it straight from like, hey, this is the pain point. If the only thing that comes away from that discussion is that a product person now is talking to a salesperson more earnestly, I am a happy person if that eventually turns into a sale for us that's the gold standard but uh whatever we can do to break down the walls between the product management and D functions of an organization and the go-to-market functions of an organization the better i think the the outcomes of the company as a whole will be and and our software sits right in the middle of that and helps quite a bit with it so how do you fuel that then
0: like how do you pour gas in the fire to make that grow faster and like, yeah. how much growth has it led to like like
1: what, what are you seeing from that? The um, it, it's a hard sale, to be honest, right? You, you get someone uh, we have a we have a persona. Um, I, don't, I think most companies do this. They give actual names to the people who have a persona and we have one called Excited Eddie and Excited Eddie for us is a person who doesn't have any buying power and they don't have a whole lot of influence, but they love what we've got to offer and, and are convinced. Um, that's kind of tough. Uh, to get into a sale, but if we can get to excited, Eddie's boss and recognize that you know that the director of sales, the director of support, the director of customer success sees opportunity. Um, it, it's honestly quite a consultative sales call. Um, I, I've been on quite a number of them myself because it's not about how will your product help with this. It's about how do I navigate this situation inside and so what we're really selling is our expertise and we happen to have a really good software product to go along with it um we haven't figured out how to get that to scale well uh it will probably mean um you know you and i had been talking about referrals before we we started reporting. Mm-hmm. um there's the direct referrals that you would expect from one product management team to another product management team but i think the end around referral strategy could work quite well as well yeah
0: okay i see what you're saying so it's it's yeah because it, it's definitely a multi-threaded deal because you got to have the pain well the pain isn't isn't the buyer right so you gotta have the pain connects and then the buyer connect so then they could complete that circle and, and bring that deal in for you
1: right yeah yeah it would be important um our, our software i think uh, and, and anyone who ser- who sells software like ours it's. Um, you had also mentioned to me earlier that there are a bunch of different sales methodologies that are out there. In engineering, there are there are probably one of three or four different software development lifecycle processes that you would choose. In product management, there's this weird ether of good ideas that people pick and choose from. And there isn't any agreed upon. This is the methodology that we use to sell software. So um, you asked earlier, like how we how we try to throw fuel on that fire. We're trying to establish that methodology through content delivery, through good advice. We get asked time and time again, like, how does user voice go about building its own software? How do we you know, take all this stuff and put it into best practice for ourselves. So we point people to a document that I wrote that describes in great detail how we go about researching our software builds, how we go about talking to customers, how we do interviews, how we communicate with our own software engineering teams, uh, the, you know, all the details about how that works. That's yet another thing that um, I think just attracts people to people that they know that it can help beyond just the software that you're you're selling to them. That's awesome.
0: I think that's a great strategy. And I mean, hey, you're eating your own dog food and you have a lot of expertise in it, you know, doing it. So I think that definitely enables trust with, with um, yeah. people that you're working with.
1: We, we get a lot of insight and it, it, it can sound judgy and I don't mean it to sound that way, but we get to watch a lot of different product organizations do what they do. Um, and you can kind of correlate that with who ends up you know, really beating the market, and who ends up languishing in the middle somewhere. Um, it, it's really interesting to see. You can you can see patterns and what works and what doesn't, and, and having the ability to share that with people is really helpful.
0: Well, let me ask you that, and I know we're we're getting close on time. Do, do you have a couple minutes? I know we're we're up on time. Or, yeah, I do. Or time. Yeah. Okay. What well, what would you? Because this is a this is huge, man. I think this is great. Like you have visibility to hundreds and hundreds of product shops, right? And you see mm-hmm. what which ones are doing it the best which ones are mediocre, which ones are, are, you know, struggling. So what's the number one pattern? You just mentioned there's patterns. What's the number one pattern for a world-class product organization in a SaaS
1: company? Uh, The companies that do the best are the ones that, and it sounds really obvious, but measure twice and cut once. Um, the people that run headlong into, Hey, my competitor is doing this. We have to have it. Or, um, you know, the the overeager executive who says, you know, this is the next, you know, module we're going to build and the next set of features that we're going to build. You may get lucky, um, but if you want, uh, and, and you may actually hit a home run doing that. And to continue the sports analogy, I like companies that consistently hit doubles and triples, because um, that's what's going to keep most people retained and be most appealing to the broadest group of people. Those people will research what they do they will test their solutions before building software. Once, once you start building a thing, it's very expensive to build it, but then you're stuck supporting it. It's very hard to sunset it if you've got a, a group of users who feel, you know, very married to it and you're taking it away from them. So. The deliberate nature of product research is really, really important to get right up front. And the best product teams are are doing their research up front and have executive leadership that recognize the fact that that is a time investment that is worthwhile.
0: Well, and, and I'm, I'm taking notes here because this is great. So what would you recommend for product research? Like what's the proper, how would you define that like proper research up front? Yeah.
1: Um, unless you're a very large company. Um, and I mean like Delta Airlines, Salesforce.com, et cetera, um, you don't need to take the white lab coat approach to research, right? A, a lot of people think, all right, I need to get statistical significance and I need to survey 10,000 potential customers and it needs to reach blah, 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 blah. And that sounds very hard and it is very hard and you need uh, dedicated people to be able to do that. And companies like Delta Airlines, they do have people to do that. Every time I fly, I get a medallia survey. Like I know what's happening on the other end of that. For most of us who are trying to grow companies that are our size or or larger or something like that, Um, the the highest fidelity information that you can get is in a face-to-face conversation with people. You can read their body language. You can be empathetic with them. You can ask follow-on questions. Um, Product research tips we always try to share with people. Make sure you're very clear about what you want to learn. Um, what What is the thing you want to learn from someone? And how are you going to find out about that? That should not be a script, right? That should be you sitting with your peers and saying like, hey, what are some of the things that we could ask that would get to the bottom of that without leading them to the answer that we're expecting or anything like that. So learning how to not ask leading questions and actually have a conversation that gets you to the answer of the question that you want. A, a good way to check whether you think your ideas are good there is to role play, not literally the interview, but what are the possible outcomes of these interviews? What answers do we think we might hear if we ask these questions? And what would you do if that was the answer? Like, what would the actionable outcome, if I hear, yes, this is critical to me, like, do you know that if you went and, and built a solution that you had in mind, that it would sell and all that stuff. It's really a good like check and balance to say, all right, if the answer is A, what will I do? If the answer is B, what will I do? If the answer is C, what will I do? And if the answer was none of those things, then you need to go do a new round. Like just take that answer and go refine like, hey, no, this is what we heard and it's different from our original hypothesis. And don't be frustrated that you can't jump right into build something. Be thankful that you just dodged a bullet and didn't go bark up a tree that was completely wrong to bark up. Um, so, uh, and ask yourself, like when it comes to like the numbers of people that you interview or, and, and interviews apply to surveys, it applies to like, you know, asking people in-app questions, all that sort of stuff, any, any mechanism by which you might get feedback. I, I always tell people enough is enough when you start to feel like you are confident in the signal. Like I've talked to I talked to five people. They all said exactly the same thing. Well, five people might be enough if your diversification of those five people was good. If three people said one thing and two people said another, well, there might be two answers here. So let's go get another five or 10 people and and keep moving. But we don't try to get all big brained and say, yes, we're going to get an N of 1000 and publish this study and blah, blah, blah. That's that's what you do for either big companies or, or medical research or something like that.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you do, you get so much from talking to people live, but I I like, I like what you're saying in terms of like, you know, it's, you can't necessarily assign the number. It's just the patterns and the deep consistency of that pattern. And then I like your, your thoughts about role playing to yourself in advance. You know, one of the, um, the most successful pilots that avoided a crash is because he did that with his team. Like they had the highest performing, no crash, Um, They went through one of the worst conditions possible and they avoided a crash because every single team member knew all the possible outcomes and they were prepared for them, right? So, um, so love that. Um,
1: One other thing that came to mind. um, Sure. We have a weekly meeting between our product team and our marketing team because market research has very good, uh, very good meat for a product team to chew on and product research has very good meat for a marketing team to chew on. So we get together with each other, um, not only to share findings and what we're looking into and all of that stuff, but we talk about research tactics. We talk about ways that we ask questions that didn't work and didn't get us the answers that we needed in ways that did work. And so every time we go to our customers and try to learn something from them, it will take fewer and fewer interactions probably to get the good signal we need because we're all getting better. At doing this together. And so initially when we started digging into research more and more as a company, this was a couple of years ago, we'd get some people saying, I don't know that we have the time to do all of this. Like, okay. So you're just going to like blindly throw a dart into the, into the dark and hope that it hits something. I don't know why you would do that, but um, now everyone knows like, yeah, you know, we can get an answer in a week to this question. It's, it's not that we need to wait six months Hmm. uh, to commission this huge study or anything
0: like that. Do, do you include sales in those meetings as well?
1: We do, uh, we, um, we don't do it as one big group. We don't do product marketing sales all at once. We do product sales, product marketing, and then sales mm-hmm. and marketing, We're talking to each other, just to keep, um, you get some different like personality perspectives when different groups of people are talking. Um, but we, we strongly encourage uh, those types of connections. The byproduct of that has been that everyone knows each other really well now. So when a salesperson just got off a call with someone, they don't feel like they need to go through some big chain of command to go grab a product manager and just like riff on an idea with them because they heard something. And that's yet another form of research. I just got a free call on a subject and free information is landing at my doorstep that I didn't have to lift a finger to do. I'm just gonna capture all that and, and learn what I can from that salesperson's experience.
0: And what's your cadence that, so you said weekly for the team, um, yeah. all three of those meetings are weekly, like sales and marketing product and sales, yeah. product and marketing, you do have just had like a weekly cadence.
1: It's, it's scheduled for a half hour a week and probably one out of three times we'll get together ahead of time and say, eh, we don't have anything new this week. Let's not meet this week. So it's one of those, like it's, it's there, um, but if we've been busy on other things and and nothing has come up in terms of new research or anything like that, we'll just skip the meeting for that week.
0: That's great, man. I think that's an awesome framework. Anybody listening can leverage that. We are up on time. So let me do a quick, um, quick, rep, not revenue rundown. Ooh, usually CEO or founder fire we end things off with. So what's your favorite book that you've read over the last
1: couple of years? Oh, gosh. Uh... Uh, it's a book called *Sapiens*. Um, I don't know if you know it, and I can't. Yeah, remember I've heard the, of it.
0: Yeah,
1: I have it in my bookshelf actually. Yeah, I, I think it was. It's fantastic because I. Um, one of the things that when you think about research is that you really want to study human psychology and what motivates them and all those things. And, and *Sapiens* does a really good job of zooming way, 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 way out on the timeline of humanity as a whole and uh, how things change every couple of hundred years. But in the end, like everything is kind of the same. Underneath it, um, you mentioned in a previous podcast about fear driving people, about you know safety and all of those things, and I, I think that was a very eye-opening book to read and put a lot of thoughts into great perspective. Awesome, man. How
0: about um, you know what's a founder or CEO that you, you appreciate what they're doing now and,
1: and like to emulate? Yeah, uh, I don't know if you use an email client called Superhuman. Uh, I don't. A guy named Rahul Vora runs Superhuman. Uh, he is one of the people that pioneered what is, I think the, or or at least, I don't know if he came up with it, but I think he just was the first person to use it quite heavily. The, the product market fit question, Mm -hmm. uh, how, uh, how upset would you be if I took this product or feature away from you? Uh, and if people say they'd be very upset, that's a really good thing. Like lean into them. If they say they'd be sort of upset. Um, yeah, whatever. And if they wouldn't be upset, that's not your target market. So don't go with it. Um, he's been talking about that for years on the product management circuit. Superhuman's a fantastic product, which is a byproduct of his application of that. But I really like people who come up with these globally useful tools that are simple to understand and really helpful for people in their their everyday. It's fantastic.
0: That's a good recommendation. I haven't used Superhuman. I've heard of it. Um, And then, last but not least, where do you see the future of tech going over the next three to five
1: years? (laughs) That's a very interesting question. Um, It's easier than it's ever been to build software. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, consumer demand for quality is going to get higher and higher and higher. Portability of data is growing at an astronomical rate. So your lock-in to any particular vendor is not there anymore. So I feel like the product teams that are going to be successful are the ones who... Listening to your customers is is table stakes. Mm -hmm. You must. And then your job... uh, A lot of people confuse listening to their customers with like being led by them. And I don't believe that like they're sharing information with you so that you can go innovate so that you can go be creative and you can go solve problems for people in a way that they hadn't thought of before that really nails the problem to the wall. So it's the same old story. The best products are going to rise to the top. But I think over the past five or 10 years, it's been one of those like, Lots and lots of products are successful, but now there are going to be so many that there's going to be fatigue and people are only going to choose the best of the best. So I think there's going to be some narrowing of of options in the field as things go forward.
0: I think it's the same way with information, right? There's so much yeah. information out there and content.
1: Yeah, it's going to rise. To the I, mean, I, I used to subscribe to three or four different newspapers, and now I just pick one, the one that is the best, in my opinion.
0: Awesome. Well, Matt, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about UserVoice? And then we're going to wrap things up.
1: Yeah, uh, UserVoice.com. We've got free trials for all of our products. Feel free to pop in there and and play around. Our sales team would, of course, be happy to talk to you. Uh, On UserVoice.com, all of that content that I mentioned, all the stuff that's just generally meant to be helpful in product management, the relationship between product and other teams, that's all on our blog. Um, You can always reach out to me if you'd like to... Uh, talk about any of these subjects matt at uservoice.com is my email address and you can find me on linkedin my my name is really common matt young so if you search for matt young user voice you'll you'll find me pretty quickly awesome
0: well it was a pleasure having you on the show matt and i look forward to seeing you on the next episode yeah ryan was a lot of fun thank you thank you for checking out the scale up show